Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... With the postseason officially underway, early expectations for the start of the MLB Divisional Round. Plus, a look back at Week 4 in the NFL, and the debut of a brand new segment ahead of Week 5. And, is an unvaccinated Kyrie Irving hurting more than just the Brooklyn Nets? It's episode 42 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. What's going on, everybody? Here on Thursday, October 7th, 2021, the 42nd edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or watching us visually on YouTube. I want to say happy October, everybody. The fall season's kicking in, starting to get cooler around, and I think this is probably the most exciting time in the world of sports because you have all four sports going on simultaneously. You've got the NHL and the NBA with their preseason. With their preseason, you got the NFL uh, just still kicking off their season, and then of course the MLB kicking off their postseason, which is how we're going to start the show today. We've seen both wild card games play out, and what an exciting two games it was on. Tuesday night with the Sox and the Yanks, totally exciting, and then last night, the walk-off for the Dodgers to beat the Cardinals was absolutely incredible, but now we are down to the final eight here ahead of the divisional round, and we'll go through each series, we'll break it down real quickly, and we'll start with the aforementioned Red Sox in the ALDS, winning that wildcard game to face their AL East rival, Tampa Bay Rays. Now, the Rays are a 100-win team in a division that had four teams win 90 or more games. That's unbelievable. Now, they don't have the best talent, okay? You can already say that right then and there. The Tampa Bay Rays, talent-wise, are not the best, but I think they have the best team. They just have a bunch of guys who know how to play baseball and play it so well together Kevin Cash, the way he's managed his lineup and his pitching has been incredible. The lineup has a ton of power within it, okay? And they will make you pay. They'll make any pitcher who makes a mistake. They'll make you pay. I mean, you've got Brandon Lau, a second baseman who hit nearly 40 home runs in the regular season, okay? How many second basemen do you know that can hit 40 home runs in a single season, okay? You have Mike Zanino as a catcher, the leading home runs in terms of catchers at 33. The ultimate powerhouse in Nelson Cruz, Meadows, Azur, Arozarena, Franco. They have tons of pieces. They have tons of pieces in that lineup where you don't really see any kind of flaw. So they're just a power hitter, and they just make you pay for mistakes. They don't use the small ball as much as maybe some teams should, but the fact is they've got a ton of great home run hitters with some of the names that I just mentioned. But I think the strongest part of this team has to be their bullpen. I think it's the strongest part 
of the Rays. I mean, you look at every single person in the rotation, they are heat-seeking missile firers, okay? They have fastballs that will get so many swings and misses. And it doesn't really make the starting rotation so crucial because Kevin Cash has gone to a bullpen kind of uh, rotation for, for many games. He'll throw a couple of arms out there. He'll get a bullpen guy starting in a game. So that's a ton of... That's an advantage right there for Tampa. And then looking in these first two games, you got Shane McClanahan in game one, Shane Baz in game two. I think Tampa should be the favorite in this series. I, I do think they should. You know, I would argue that it would be because of home field, but let's be honest, uh, the fan base for Tampa Bay isn't really, they don't really exist. If we're thinking about it, even in the regular season, you can't get more than 10,000 in Tropicana Field. So I don't know if the the home field, maybe just because of the ballpark, you know, that could be like with the catwalk and anything like that. But in terms of like fan support, no, they don't have that kind of thing. The Red Sox, though, on the other side, we'll get to more of them and their chances uh, during our Let's Get Local segment. But I will just say the fact that they were able to do what they did in that wildcard game without J.D. Martinez without Chris Sale and Nathan Avaldi having such a great game, I think they can at least get this to four. You know, maybe they can be competitive, but they're just too much of an inconsistent team to really say they're totally going to upset Tampa here. I, I don't really see that. I think Tampa, if you had to give me a prediction, I think Tampa gets out of the series and they go back to the ALCS. But the other series in the ALDS... The Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros. Okay, number three and number two. White Sox winners of the Central, Astros winner of the West. This is going to be a really entertaining game. And to start on Chicago's side, you know, I I think a lot of people, myself included, thought Tony La Russa, who's such an old school manager. He's a Hall of Famer. You know, I was someone who thought he wouldn't be able to adapt to the way baseball is played today, you know, with home runs and strikeouts and the style of pitching and stuff like that. But I was proven wrong. You know, you remember back in the early part of the season, Tony La Russa was criticizing one of his players for hitting 3-0 off a position player and hitting a home run. And the fact that he's been able to right that ship and get the White Sox into the postseason and be one of the first teams to clinch their division is absolutely monumental, okay? I'm a big fan of what the White Sox bring in terms of pitching. You know, they've got the second-best ERA in the American League, fifth-best in the majors. I like Tapera, Kopech, Bummer, Crochet in that bullpen, and the two closers that they got, Liam Hendricks and the trade deadline acquisition they got in Craig Kimbrell. I'm a big fan of that. The only problem I see for this White Sox team is once they get into Game 3, or to Game 4, because let's be honest, you have Lance Lynn, you have Lucas Giolito. That's your that's your Game 1, Game 2, right then and there. But Dylan Cease, Dallas Keuchel, they've struggled most of the year. They don't have, you know, the incredible numbers that those two guys had. And I think that's where, you know, you might get into a little bit of a bump. But then also you have Carlos Rodon, your third best starter. You know, is he going to be a contributor a contributor? or a liability because of all of his arm and shoulder issues that he's been dealing with, not just for this season, but throughout the past couple of seasons that he's been dealing with. I mean, he's 13-5 and five with a 2-3-7 ERA on the year. 
But in the last two months, he's only thrown 28 innings. So there could be some rust. It could just be a healing process. We don't know what Carlos Rodon is going to be able to do with this kind of lingering problem that he's had. But the big key for me has to be this offense. This The power hitters need to step up, okay? We now know Jose Abreu does not have COVID. He's going to be in Houston. And unlike last year versus Oakland in the wild card round, he's got to be consistent. He's got to be consistent. He had a homer in game one, but then game two and three, total two for 10. Two for 10 in game two and game three versus Oakland in the wild card round, which were both losses, okay? And also Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson is one of the hottest hitters batting average-wise in the game right now. He's hitting a 309, which is eighth best in the MLB. You know, not many shortstops are able to contribute offensively the way that he does. So I think those are the two guys who really have to show up. And then they have a bunch of other pieces too, like Moncada and Jimenez, all of those guys. But I think Abreu, Anderson, those are the two guys you really have to rely on if you are the White Sox. But on the other side of things, I know fans aren't going to like to hear it, but this Houston Astros team is legit, whether they're using trash cans or not. I think what Dusty Baker has done with the spotlight under him and his team, because this was the first time the fans have been back in the stands to really quote-unquote trash on the Astros, no pun intended, and he's been able to just fly so past. Like He's able to been... The team has been incredible, okay? The bullpen since getting Kendall Graveman, astounding, astounding. But kind of similar to Chicago. I think Houston has three great starters, but durability is going to be the question, you know? I like McCullers Jr., you know, him him and uh, Garcia and Uriquiti. But Zach Granke, you know, that's a guy who was projected to be the ace with, with uh, Justin Verlander out due to Tommy John. Now you don't really have anyone else. But the offense also has no weakness, okay? And that's that's the biggest thing is can the pitching get the run support? I mean, almost every hitter has to be neutralized in this lineup. I mean, you look at it. Guriel, third best average in the majors. Michael Brantley, fifth best average in the majors. Jordan Alvarez, 33 homers. Altuve, Correa, Bregman, Tucker. They've got a ton of pieces and I just think because of that, I think because they have a more consistent lineup, I think the Astros will take this series. I think they'll beat the White Sox, and I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a five-game series between these two. I think these two are gonna go the distance. That's how evenly matched these two are. But obviously, the best matchup in the division series has to be Dodgers Giants. I mean, the two best teams in the major leagues, and it's circumstantial that they're both the best, and one of them had to go through the wild card. That happens all the time, you know, or not all the time, but it's frequent, you know, it's like an every other year kind of thing. You know, it's it's once in a blue moon. You wish that it wasn't a divisional round, but at least you're getting it, okay? Both these teams have been virtually even the entire way. The entire way, Giants have a slight 10-9 to edge, okay? And I think the thing for the Dodgers is that Clayton Kershaw missing the postseason might haunt them, okay? Because I think they have three great starters. I think I think their pitching rotation might be the best in the majors with Urias who's 20 and 3, Walker Bueller who's 16 and 4, and Max Scherzer who's been undefeated 
since he came over from the Nationals, okay? Your question then becomes, who's your Game 3? Who's your Game 4 starter? Okay, who's going to make it? Is David Price going to be the guy? Do you maybe go to some sort of a bullpen game if Clayton Kershaw? Because it would definitely be, if Kershaw was in the postseason, I would be feel so much more confident if he was there that the Dodgers would win the series. But now, I'm kind of wondering, you know, is that pitching staff going to be able to hang, handle if the Giants take a game or two in the first couple of series? But that's not the only injury that's hurting L.A. Max Muncy, you know, they're saying he's not going to be in the divisional series. I think the lineup is going to have to pick up Max Muncy because, let's be honest, Max Muncy is the best player in this Dodgers lineup, okay? 36 homers, 94 RBIs. But that just means everyone else has to pick up his slack in terms of power, okay? Chris Taylor did that in the wild card game with that walk-off homer. But then you've got other guys. Mookie Betts, Trey Turner. Justin Turner, Corey Seager, everyone, basically everyone has to pick up Max Muncy's slack. And from what we saw last night in the wildcard game against the Cardinals, that's going to be hard to do. I understand they were throwing against Adam Wainwright, and Wainwright was incredible all year long. But this offense has to do much better. You know, like I said with the Astros, there's no flaw in this lineup if Max Muncy is healthy. Now that he's not healthy, who's going to fill in as the power guy? We don't know that for the Dodgers. What we do know for the Giants, though, is that their pitching has been the most consistent out of the full 162 games. I mean, you get Logan Webb in Game 1, who's 11-3 and with a 3.03 ERA. Then in Game 2, you throw out Kevin Gosman, who's 14-6 and with a 2.81. And then, depending on what happens with Game 3, Game 4, you have DeSclafani, 13-7, and Alex Wood, 10-4. and I think... Because four great starters are going to be in this series for the Giants, that's why I give them the edge pitching-wise in this series. I think the problem, though, similar to the Dodgers, is they don't have their powerhouse. They don't have Brandon Belt, okay? The lineup is going to have to give these pitchers some run support. And I know it's been better since Chris Bryant came over from the Cubs, but Brandon Belt is the guy. Similar to Max Muncy, Brandon Belt is that guy where you've got to pick up that slack. It's tough for me to go against either of these teams because I think the winner of this series can go to the World Series. I think they can beat either the Braves or the Brewers, who we'll talk about shortly. I think I'm going to go with the Giants. I think because Max Muncy isn't in that lineup, that offense struggles a little bit. Mookie Betts hasn't had the offensive power year that we've seen in the past. You know, Trey Turner, I like the pitching. I think it's going to be a lot of low scoring between these two, and I do think it goes five games. But I just like the Giants. I think the Giants have been on a roll too far, too long. I compare them to the 2013 Red Sox where they just continue to roll and roll and roll. And everyone doubts them that they're not legit, anything like that. I'm going to go with the Giants. I'm going to pick the Giants to get out of this. And I'll even go a step further. I think they make the World Series. Because I think in this next divisional series between the Braves and the Brewers, they're going to be the runner-ups. But moving on to the series with the Braves and the Brewers... I talked about Atlanta last week. I hold true to my sentiments that pitching remains the lone question about this team. They don't have the strongest rotation or the strongest bullpen. But I will say the way that the lineup has adjusted to life without Ronald Acuna Jr. has been astounding. I mean, Jock Peterson, Jorge Solor, Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, the way they've just been able to mix and match with their lineup, getting the right guys in there, I think has been incredible. But this lineup will succeed if Freddie Freeman is on his game. 
I think that's the difference. He's the longest tenured Brave. He's the guy who's been ultra consistent since he put on a Braves uniform and started his career there. I think if he goes, the lineup goes. And that's how I think the Braves get out of this, is if Freddie Freeman has a consistent offensive showing in however many games this series goes. But Milwaukee has flown under the radar all season long. And I think pitching, pitching has been the backbone of that Brewers team. They're third in the majors with a 3-5-0 team ERA. They're first in strikeouts. I mean, their bullpen is incredible with Josh Hader as their closer. He's been phenomenal. 34 saves on the year, 1-2-3 ERA. And then as your starters, Corbin Burns tops the MLB in ERA. Brandon Woodruff is fourth. I think losing Devin Williams to our LOL moment of the week, that ridiculous hand injury that he had, I think that hurts him down the road. Maybe not in this series, but down the road. And then the lineup, I just don't think they have that much power outside of Christian Yelich and Avisel Garcia. I think they need to use a lot of small ball to be able to score their runs because they do have the third worst team average, batting average, in the majors. But I still like them to get out of this series. You know, not a ton of upsets, but I like Milwaukee to beat the Braves. I think the Braves, you know... Record-wise, they are the worst team in the MLB postseason record-wise. They're still 88-73, and 73, but it did take them a whole half year to finally right that ship and really get going to win that NL East. But I'll take the Brewers in this one. There is a big game difference. I think Milwaukee gets out of this one. But because it's October, that means the postseason in the MLB should be a whole heck of a lot of fun to watch. Up next, we're going to talk about the NFL. They just wrapped up their week four. There's a lot of good games that happened out there, and we've got a big week five coming up, and we'll talk about our brand new segment coming up in just a moment. But I would like to mention or talk about a few games that happened during week four that I really wanted to bring up, and I wanted to start with the Cardinals and the Rams. I thought 37-20, to Arizona beating LA. I think that game made Arizona the best team in the NFC for right now because they made a Rams defense look completely foolish 465 yards of total offense okay 465 and 200 plus were on the ground in the rushing attack I think the Cardinals finally found a running game to complement Kyler Murray you have James Conner who's got four touchdowns so far on the year he's your goal line back And then you have Chase Edmonds, who's in the top 15 in total rush yards on the season. I think this Arizona team looks legit. And I was high on them to start in the preseason. I was high on them. I thought they could have a great year. I did not think they would have this great of a year, being the last undefeated team in the NFL at 4-0. I was totally not expecting that. I think Kyler Murray right now is an early MVP candidate. He might even be right at the top in my eyes. The only problem, again, is just the mistakes. He's got to limit the turnovers, the interceptions. He's got to be able to limit that. But the way this offense has been performing, those two running backs, A.J. Green having a career resurgence with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, 
And then defensively, they're playing so much better than they have in the past. You know, getting J.J. Watt almost feels like the ultimate difference maker for that Cardinals team. But they are just performing incredibly well. I'm very impressed with them. I will ride on the fact that they're at least going to be a wild card team. Because remember last year, they played so well and then they faltered at the end. I think Kyler Murray has that experience where he's not going to let that happen again. I like the Cardinals. And I think for right now... They're the best team in the NFC for right now. That could definitely change. You know, the NFL changes on a week to week basis. You know, speaking of the Chiefs, that's another team I really wanted to bring up because a lot of people are saying this isn't the same Kansas City team we've seen in the past. They started one and two. They were last in the AFC West. But let's not panic too much. You know, they beat the Eagles 42 to 30. They got themselves back to 500. I think they righted the ship, but there's still questions defensively because we know about Patrick Mahomes. We know that when he doesn't make mistakes and turn the ball over, he is the best quarterback or the most talented quarterback that this game has right now. I mean, last week against Philly, 24 of 30, 278, five touchdowns, three of them to Tyreek Hill. Okay, it's how they use their weapons that makes them so legit. But the problem that you know I've kind of been riding on for maybe the past year or so is defensively. How does their defense step up in these kind of big games? I mean, if you're allowing 461 yards to the Eagles and allowing Jalen Hurts to throw for 358 yards, you know, I, I'm a fan of Jalen Hurts and I'm a fan of the Eagles' offense, the way they performed, but I don't think they're a 400-plus yard offense. Like, if Kansas City is doing that, how are they going to be able to slow down Buffalo in their Monday night or uh, their Sunday night game into week five? I think it's hard for them to do. And if this defense continues to play the way it is, they're probably not going to be at that top tier of the AFC. So defensively, they're going to have to pick it up. You know, the offense is totally fine. I think the offense is fine. You know, you add Josh Gordon to your active roster on a roster that already has. Nicole Hardman, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, all those guys. I just don't think defensively this is a legit team yet. I think Kansas City, they're going to make the playoffs. I think, you know, there's no reason to panic about them, you know, totally falling apart. Because remember, we did the exact same thing to the New England Patriots a while back. And what did Tom Brady do? Took his team to the Super Bowl and beat the Seattle Seahawks. So there's no reason to panic about Kansas City just yet. But... Keep your eyes defensively on this Chiefs team. If they continue to allow 30 points a game, 400-plus yards of offense, then you might start to think, maybe this isn't the elite Kansas City team we've seen in the past. But staying with the Chiefs, speaking of in that division, the Monday night game between the Raiders and the Chargers. First off, the fact that there was a delay, a weather delay in an indoor stadium, that, that, that's a candidate for LOL moment of the week. It isn't, just so we're clear. It's not our LOL, so don't fast forward just yet. But in talking about the game, 28-14, to 14, Chargers on top. LA is slowly becoming a big factor in the AFC, and I was dogging them a little bit, thinking they'd only get like six wins. They're slowly proving me wrong. I'm not ready to jump on the bandwagon yet, but I think for the future, the Chargers have a great combo with Justin Herbert, at quarterback, and Austin Eckler as their running back. Herbert, I think, is a total steal from that draft. 25 of 38, 
222 yards, three touchdowns. Austin Eckler in the backfield, 145 total yards of offense, two touchdowns, and 117 rush yards. That was an incredible performance by LA. They put themselves into the picture, and I think they were just held in check, the Raiders were, by this rising defense, you know. When we had, uh, when I ha- had my appearance on uh, right off the bus, I had said the Chargers aren't as legit as they think they are. But man, they're proving me wrong with Derwin James and that defense, Joey Bosa. I mean, two, they only held the Raiders to 213 yards and 48 on the ground, and Derek Carr was held in check, 196 yards with a pick to go with those two interceptions. So. I think this Chargers team, keep an eye out for them. They're not there just yet, but by the end of the year, they could be a wild card contender, so keep your eyes out for that. But now, it's time to go to a brand new segment. This is going to be a segment where every week, I invite a special guest to come on and make some picks for the upcoming NFL or whatever slate of games there may be, and I thought... Let's bring back a returning guest to kick off this segment, and we're going to keep track of it week by week just to see how well they do. So, I present to you the first annual Let Me Speak segment known as Pick'em. So it's time for our NFL Pick'em segment. This is the weekly segment. We have a special guest join us and pick the slate of NFL games, and we're kicking it off with a good friend of the show, returning guest, who's the host of his own podcast, the Nondescript Podcast, Johnny Mansaridis joins the show. Johnny, thanks again for joining the show. How you been lately? I've been really good, man. Can't complain. Can't complain. Out in New York now, I'm in, I'm in enemy territory since we've last spoken, but I'm feeling really good, and it's a pleasure to be back on the show. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, you must be feeling really good, especially after last night's baseball game, which we talked about briefly, Red Sox beating the Yankees. Uh, what's the vibe right now in New York? Is the, the scene a little down with the Yankees dropping that game? You know what? It is a cloudy gray day in New York City, and that makes perfect sense for the atmosphere of New York fans. I'm excited to rock my vintage 04 postseason jacket out when I go on a walk later today and hopefully stir up some ruckus. So it's it's a gloomy day in New York because it's a gloomy day for New York Yankees fans, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's happy on the other side of the pond. It's it's very ironic. The sun is shining right now in the window, and you got <laughs> you got gray skies out there. Are you ready to make some NFL picks? I've never been more ready. Okay, well, just so you know, we have you on record once you make these picks, and you're kicking okay. us off, so you're going to set the tone. You ready, gotcha. to, you ready to do it? I'm ready. All right, so let's kick off with a Thursday night game. This is a big one. I'd probably say the more intriguing Thursday night games, Rams at Seahawks. Now, the Rams, Johnny, coming off that loss to Arizona, a tough divisional game, and then you have Seattle, who's kind of really, when you think about that tough NFC West, is at the bottom right now, sitting at 2-2. Two and two. How do you see that game shaping up? I think it's going to be an interesting game. I still think the Rams, I'll come out and say it, I think the Rams are going to, are going to win this game pretty handily. I, through the first four weeks, there still isn't anything that has convinced me about the Seattle Seahawks team. I still feel like they are way too much of a coin flip. They'll come out in the first half and put up a whole bunch of points. And then the second half will taper off, deteriorate, and do nothing about that. I think with a defense that the Rams have that is so solid, as we've known for years upon years, and with this new revamped offensive system with Stafford absolutely balling out, 
I just see it as a Rams win. Like I, I, I really can't envision it any other way. Seattle has to be perfect, which I don't think they've played anywhere close to that potential yet this year, but I, I see the Rams coming out on top handily. I think both of us kind of turned the corner after that wild card game that we picked last time you were on the show. I think we both said Seahawks and yeah. sure enough, here come the Rams with the upset in the link. I agree with you. I think the Rams are just too much for Seattle. That mm-hmm. defense is going to bring him down. Russell Wilson, as you said, he's got his magic, but it's just not enough to contain yeah. what is a basically revitalized Rams team. But that's the Thursday night game. We get into the Sunday slate games and the NFL in London is back and not in a really big way, though. It's Jets Falcons in London. Both teams at one and three, both teams at the bottom of the league. How do you see that one? Jets get, getting their first win in overtime against Tennessee. Does that give mm-hmm. them a little momentum? I think whatever happens in this game, it is going to be absolutely hilarious. There are some games that happen where it's just kind of a catastrophe on the field. And I think that's what's going to happen with this Jets and Falcons game. Like whatever the outcome is, it's just going to be chaos the entire time. I am still very up in the air about this one. I think it could go either way, but my gut is telling me the Falcons on this one. I am a little bit biased and I still think the Jets are very, very iffy. The Falcons defense is absolutely atrocious. And I think Zach Wilson is going to be able to put up some solid numbers, but we forget that last season, Tennessee's defense was also really not up to snuff when it came to their offense. Tennessee was missing AJ Brown and well, who else were they missing? Julio Jones. Julio Jones as well. So Tannehill had nobody to throw to from that perspective. I think Tennessee was in a really tough spot and, and lost a game that they shouldn't have lost, but they had excuses in which to do so. Zach Wilson is going to still continue to progress, although I still don't trust him as a quarterback. I think he's way too prone to throw interceptions and way too prone to try and do the whole Carson Wentz thing where you just kind of chuck it up and hope for the best. And that that doesn't really work in the NFL. So I think it's going to be a tight game. I think Cordero Patterson is going to have an opportunity to do something spectacular, which he usually does for that Falcons team. And I think it'll be close, but I think the Falcons are going to edge it out. That's really, I am the same way. I think, you know, looking at, you said it like took the words right out of my mouth. Tennessee didn't have their two top wide receivers. And -hmm. yet, even with Derrick Henry taking much more of a workload than he normally did, Tennessee got it to overtime and the Jets on a field goal on the road were able to pull off that win. It's impressive, but I'm a big Matt Ryan fan. I think if that, like you said, the defense is just so bad and that's the reason Atlanta loses these games. I do think, I do think I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with you. I, I think Atlanta is going to take that one. I think Atlanta will take that one, but this one, this next one isn't going to be much of a joke. Two, three and one teams, Green Bay at Cincinnati, both teams at three and one. Remember in week one, everyone was saying the sky was falling with the Packers. Now look at them. After losing 38-3, to they've won three straight. But here comes Cincinnati, a surprising 3-1 and one team. Do the Bengals have a chance? Can they pull it out at home? I, don't, I still can't make out this Bengals team. I think they are absolutely spectacular to watch. Joe Burrow is a pleasure to watch as a quarterback. His command, his pocket presence, his energy with the team. And that connection with Jamar Chase is really, really dangerous. I don't, I think that's going to be really a, a really interesting matchup between Jamar Chase and Jair Alexander on, on the secondary this weekend. And I think that'll be the make or break for the Green Bay's team. Listen, Green Bay's defense isn't as strong as it should be. Although with the Patriots deciding to do something with a certain cornerback this morning who might be headed there, that could strengthen their secondary shortly. But, <coughs> excuse me, regardless, even if he shows up for the game, I still don't think that he'll be playing. And on top of that, I think the Bengals are going to be able to put up a fight, but at the end of the day, I I can't go against Aaron Rodgers against the, it's Aaron Rodgers. It's the Bengals. It's hard for me to pick against 
Aaron Rodgers in this in this particular circumstance, I don't think the Bengals defense is, is super spectacular. And I think to to beat this Green Bay team, you have to have a spectacular defense. I think Green Bay's running attack is way too solid with um, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon taking a really big jump so far this year. I think he's been super, super impressive to start the season off. So I think this has the probably the best chance to be an upset, although they're both three and one teams. But my gut is saying to go go with Green Bay on this one. I mean, that's your best chance. I'm calling the upset right there. I just think I think the problem is with that Green Bay defense, as you said, it's not up to par that it usually is. And as you mentioned, the Stephon Gilmore news, you never know what's going to happen there after this morning. But Cincinnati at home, I think, you know, that offensive line at least is going to give them some protection, some protection. And I think Joe Burrow, he sees Aaron Rodgers. He's think I got to be the best quarterback out on that field. So that's why I think Cincinnati is going to pull this upset. You normally get these kinds of upsets. Plus, they had the rally last Thursday against Jacksonville. They got basically 10 days of rest to get ready for Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers. That's what I think gives them the advantage. So I will go Cincinnati to contrast with you for the first I don't, time. I don't, I don't hate that pick. I don't hate that pick. Yeah, definitely not. And back, back to the seller games. Detroit at Minnesota. Detroit 0-4. Minnesota one and three. The game is in Minneapolis. Johnny, are you smelling the Lions' first victory? I think so. I'll be honest. I think Minnesota, out of all the one and three teams, I think the Vikings might be the best of the lot. Um, I think that they've had a couple unlucky bounces. I, nobody has confidence in Kirk Cousins, including myself, but I think there's so much talent on that roster, especially the game that they played against Seattle. The big criticism and knock of Kirk is, can he do it when everything's not perfect? And he didn't have Dalvin Cook that game. And he came out and he balled. I think the Lions defense is bang average. And I think the Vikings have way too many offensive weapons. I still think the Lions are just cursed as an organization. Like that play last week where Goff steps up for steps up to take the snap and a shotgun and it hits off his shoulder and it ricochets for an interception across the line. That doesn't happen to any other franchise except for the Detroit lions. I think it's going to be another tough week for them. Um, I, I don't know. My gut is just telling me to go with the Vikings on this one. I think that out of all the one in three teams at the best one in three team, maybe besides the Patriots, my pride and joy, but I, I can see them going into Detroit and, and winning this one. I think you're so right about Minnesota and the fact that this defense held Cleveland. Cleveland's a high-powered offense. Cleveland only got 14 points out of that in Minnesota. So that's a very underrated team. I kind of rode with Minnesota thinking they could be like sort of an underdog uh, in the the division uh, in the NFC North and really challenge the Packers. Maybe they're not going to challenge the Packers, but I think when you look at the mess in Detroit, the mess in Chicago, Minnesota is a mess, but it's not a giant mess. And I, I do think – I think it's going to be a close. I think it's going to be a field goal game, but I'm, I'm with you there. Minnesota with the home field advantage will take it at one and three. Mm-hmm. Although when you – you saying Minnesota, the best one and three team so far, some might argue that Pittsburgh might be. You know, obviously there are questions with the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger's play, but they go home. They're hosting the three and one Denver Broncos. Does the Schneid continue? Is it another losing streak? They've dropped three straight since getting that season opening win against Buffalo, do they turn it around? I am so – this is another one that I'm really kind of up in the air on. Listen, the Broncos are a good team, but who have they beaten? They beat the Giants, they beat the Jaguars, they beat the Jets, and then they got blown out by the Ravens. I – 
think that that listen, if I think that Minnesota Viking is the best one in three team, I think the Broncos are the worst three in one team. I'm not really that impressed by them. Teddy Bridgewater is exactly who Teddy Bridgewater is. They just lost. Was it KJ Hamler that went down with an, with an Achilles recently? So already a team that is missing Jerry Judy has yet another weapon that they can't rely on on offense. I think defensively as well, the team is just okay. I think Pittsburgh has a chance to stop the Schneid and, and, and to win out this week. The big question is going to be who they play at quarterback. Big Ben is rumored to be injured again, which, I mean, the sun rose this morning. So Big Ben is also injured as well. It's just kind of <laughs> hard for the course. But I, I really think that after one in three, I, I don't see this Pittsburgh team losing another game. I think this is where they stop the Schneid. I think the Broncos – are the perfect team to come up against where they're feeling like they're riding high. They're a three and one team. They have a little bit of belief, but I, I genuinely still just don't think this Broncos team is that good. And I think the Steelers have a chance to win. It'll, I think once again, this could be a close one, but I think the Steelers have a chance to pull it out. Well, you were talking about quarterback questions with Pittsburgh. Denver's got the exact same thing. Teddy Bridgewater has a concussion. Who knows mm-hmm. if he's going to play this week, if they might go to drew Locke. The ever, yes, the ever, the ever present Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. And a, as you said, like, you know, it, it was an unimpressive 3 0. They get bounced by Denver or uh, by Baltimore, excuse me. And then their head coach saying, like, oh, Ravens going for the record. That's BS, just to yeah. say. So, Soft team. Yeah. And the thing with Pittsburgh is, I don't think they're going to be good this year, but they'll be good enough in this game. They still don't have a running game to balance out and take the load off Ben Roethlisberger. And plus that defense was losing a lot of uh, players. TJ Watt was out with the injury. He should hopefully be back. If not this game, hopefully the next week. I think I'm right with you there. Pittsburgh is going to get off this stride and they're going to get themselves uh, back into the win column. But next Mm -hmm. one is the Battle of Florida teams. Miami at Tampa Bay, 1 o'clock in Raymond James Stadium. Dolphins coming at 1-3. and Tampa Bay off an emotional win against New England, just barely on a missed field goal by Nick Polk, got that victory, got themselves to three and one. Does Tampa right the ship? Do we start to see the offense the way that was? If there's a lock of the week, I think it's this game right here. I think Tampa Bay, after coming off of that game, I, Tom Brady was very emotional for that game. And, and that is probably the most rattle I've seen him as a quarterback. I've had the pleasure of watching him for my entire existence on this planet. And any human being was going to have struggles coming into that game. Listen, that game, there were so many weather conditions. It was pouring rain. Both quarterbacks were missing a lot of cues and, and miss errors that you would see. It's just kind of a wild night in New England, but I think this is a chance for them to go down back to back to Florida, back to a place that they're a little bit more comfortable with and, and really start to establish themselves. Richard Sherman was getting scorched all game long, but he only had three days to kind of get himself ready after taking almost a year off. He's going to be right and he's going to be much, much better and, and ready to go for this game, which is going to bolster that secondary that needs a lot of help. I once, once again, just with the Dolphins, I still think that they're a team in crisis. Jacoby Brissett's playing quarterback, but people are making legitimate arguments whether he's better than Tua. And if that's the case, then I don't think your franchise is in a really solid spot. I think the Bucks take this game very, very easily. Yeah, what's amazing is that Tua was picked before Justin Herbert, and now they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. But mm-hmm. I agree. Miami, you know, I love Brian Flores. I love what he's doing with that organization. But just the personnel, the way that's going, Tampa Bay will stop your run game. Jacoby Brissett has leaned on the run game, whether it's him scrambling or giving it off in the run game. I know 
that they have a lot of options at wide receiver. But I think, you know, this is a bounce back for Tampa Bay to reestablish their identity. And as you said, conditions, atmosphere, totally altered Tom Brady and that Bucks team. Even without Rob Gronkowski, I will say this is a runaway for them. It's going to be a big time blowout. But now we get a battle of two and two teams coming up. New Orleans at Washington, two teams that, you know, maybe had high expectations and are sort of a little bit below it. This one to me feels like a, a pick em, kind of like a toss up. What do you think yeah. about that? So I, this is one that I kind of been going back and forth on. I like Washington. I really like Washington. And let me tell you why. I think that game versus the Falcons last week showed that while they're still a growing team and while they still have a lot of pains to work out, they are resilient. They are not a team that's going to sit down and die. Taylor Heineke, call him good, call him bad. You can have whatever opinion you want about him. As Terry McLaurin said, he's a gamer. When you have the backfield that you have, when you have the wideout option, when you have Terry McLaurin on your team, offensively, you are going to have a chance to put up points. I think the Saints defense is stingy and is solid, but I think that they can be had, especially with the diversity that that team has from an offensive perspective. And I think defensively, with a quarterback like Jameis, this Washington defense is overdue to show up. They have been absolutely appalling the first four weeks, but they have way too much talent on that team to continue down this trajectory. I think this is their bounce back week, and I think that they pull out the win. I like what you said, resilience about Washington, because remember, this was a team that was, I think, at like the seller of the NFC mm-hmm. last year, and all of a sudden, here they are, 7-9, and nine, they make the playoffs, and Taylor Heineke challenges the Bucs and Tom Brady keeps it close in that wild card game. I do think this is a new Orleans team. That's very inconsistent. They'll give you Jameis Winston will give you five touchdowns one week and then two picks the next week, as we saw from week one to week two. I think this is a week where Jameis gets uh, rights his ship because let's face it overtime to the giants last week. Are you kidding me? This is not that Saints team. I think Sean Payton goes into the locker room. He says, Jameis, we need a good game. And I think New Orleans is going to pull this one out. I'm calling for the upset that the Saints take down the WFTs, the Washington football team. Fair enough. Yeah, but now another interesting game I think is going to be sneaky good. Philadelphia at Carolina. The Eagles, I think think they're a really good team. Yeah, Maybe not really good as in like they'll make the playoffs, but I think they're better than what that one and three records show. I mean, they were hanging in there for the most part with Kansas City last week, but then Carolina comes in. They dropped their first game of the year last week to the Cowboys. Do you think Carolina goes back-to-back losses after starting 3-0? I don't. I think last year showed us that Matt Rule is a very good coach when he doesn't have the personnel. I think Matt Rule displayed his coaching prowess and his ability to rally people around a Carolina team last year that wasn't very good. And this year, they're pretty good. I think especially when it comes to the offensive perspective, Sam Donald leads the league in quarterback rushing touchdowns, which is absolutely absurd. I I mean, you look across the field and you look at someone like Jalen Hurts and you're like, oh, he's probably leading in that category as top five. Sam Donald is clear and far the leader from that category. He looks like he's going through a renaissance. I think offensively, even without Christian McCaffrey, Chubba Hubbard has stepped up and looked really solid out of the backfield. And DJ Moore is an absolute weapon. Um, I think this Panthers team is really solid. Defensively, they still scare me a little bit, especially after getting walloped by the Cowboys last week. But people are talking about Cowboy- the Cowboys as being Super Bowl contenders. And I definitely, although I'm not sold on that, I think the Cowboys could definitely do some damage. And they're, offensively, they are an absolute 
superstar show. So I think last week losing your first game in the Cowboys and the way that they did was tough, but I think that this could be a bounce back week for them. Although the Eagles are frisky for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, they're going to be one of those. We just talked about resilient with Washington. This is a resilient Eagles team. You know, every time it looked like the chiefs were going to pull away, boom, Jalen hurts with another touchdown. I think Carolina, the problem that they had last week was just adjusting to life without McCaffrey, as you mentioned, Chubba Hubbard stepping into that and really just more on the plate for Sam Darnold. And I think it took that one week to sort of adjust itself. But again, I'm going with the upset here. I think the Eagles, they're going to show themselves, I think, hanging in there a little bit with Kansas City up until the last maybe 10 minutes of that fourth quarter, I think gives them a little bit of confidence. I think Jalen Hurts is the guy. I don't know why he was in trade rumors at all for that Eagles Mm -hmm. team in the preseason, but I like the Eagles to take this one. Interesting enough, Johnny, you picked only two road teams to win so far, and it's been all home teams. Are you that much on home field advantage? I think this year in particular, like, I don't know. I think there's something about last year with everything COVID wise and stadiums not being full and players not having that. I I mean, we can take it to the side a little bit, just looking at baseball, like last night, what happened with the Sox and the Yankees, you saw that having fans there and having fans in full force makes a humongous impact. And I think we talk about the X's and O's and how players are playing and schemes and strategies, but at the end of the day, there is a big human element to it. And I think that this season in particular, we've just seen home crowds rally their troops so much more aggressively that I think it's making that much more of an impact. So I definitely factor in the home field advantage a little bit, but you know, I think, I think I can see a couple of road, a couple of road wins, but I think the home field advantage of any year, especially this year is pretty important. Well, let's see if you go home field on this one, Tennessee at Jacksonville, probably the biggest mess in the NFL right now are the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, and four, their coaches in hot water. Some are even saying he won't even make it the full season, mm-hmm. Urban Meyer. And here comes Tennessee looking for a rebound week. Is this just an easy pick to get the Titans in the victory in this one? Yeah, I mean, I haven't. Okay, Trevor Lawrence looked really good last week. And by really good, he looked like someone who wasn't throwing more interceptions than the than best for our, the best so far in his rookie campaign. Exactly. And, and take that as you will. I think Trevor Lawrence is a phenomenal quarterback, but I think he has a lot of growing to do and a lot of adjustment to get to the NFL. I beyond that, like this Jacksonville team doesn't show me anything to, to be completely honest. I think if your head coach is someone who shouldn't be there, then that's going to be a humongous issue for your team going forward. I think we, I honestly, I think the second that either Urban Meyer leaves or they get fired, they're going to win that week. But until Urban Meyer is no longer the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, there's just not a fiber of being in my body that can confidently pick the Jaguars to win a game. The Titans have every reason to win this game. They're coming back. It's a bounce back game. Hopefully they get some of their boys back from the, from the wide receiver core. I think, Vrabel is not going to stand for it. If, if Vrabel as a coach loses back to back to the Jets and the Jaguars, he might just beat the living hell out of his entire team. I think that alone from a coaching perspective, I, I don't see the Titans losing this game. You got to keep in mind with Jacksonville, you know, everyone talks about rebuilding around a player. This Jacksonville organization rebuilt around Urban Meyer and look yeah. what's going on. Like he's setting the example He's at his restaurant getting all freaky and stuff like that. This Jaguars team had one good year, and it was when Blake Bortles was their quarterback. Just keep that in mind. I think maybe they get like two wins this year, but definitely not this week against Tennessee. Tennessee is a team that desperately needs it. And speaking of a team that desperately needs it, 
our beloved Patriots falling mm-hmm. to Tampa last week at home in the rain. Tom Brady's homecoming. They're one and three. They get a little bit of a break. They go to Houston. Houston's also one and three. This is an offense that's kind of struggled uh, with the Texans now with a new quarterback in Davis Mills. Is New England going to continue sort of this struggle sort of play or do they bounce back and get their second win of the year? I think New England is in a really good spot. And that's really hard to say as a team that's one and three, but I think that this team is going to go up to Houston and I think that they are going to wallop the Texans. It's a bold prediction, but I think that, you know, whatever the money line is, whatever the over under is, just take the Patriots. The Patriots in their last game versus Tampa played very well. Mac Jones balled out from a quarterback. The one thing that they could not do was run the football. They had, I think Tom Brady had six rushing yards in total and the entire Patriots rushing attack at negative one. That doesn't happen this week. If you can get 100 yards rushing between Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson potentially coming back, even J.J. Taylor and Brandon Bolden, I think that alone is going to carry you over this Texans team. This Texans team, ever since Tyrod has gone down, has been putrid, Um, especially after getting blown out by the Bills last week. They don't really have a direction going forward. Like They have this kid Davis Mills in at quarterback. Coaching-wise, they don't really have an identity. Attack-wise, defense-wise, they're just – they kind of remind me of Jacksonville in the sense that they feel like they're in this in-between period where they're rebuilding, but they don't have a clear identity of what they're rebuilding towards. So it's almost like players are just floating the whole Deshaun Watson thing with him just existing in that organization. Like it's in the same way that we look at Jacksonville's a mess. I think the Texans are on par as like a mess of a franchise. I think the Patriots are going to pull this one out. I'm very, very confident. Mac Jones has taken really solid steps every single week. And I expect him to take a big step this week. I think that game last week for Mac Jones was really just, it was a confidence booster of like, okay, if I can hang with Tom Brady, then I can hang with any, anyone else if I have a good day. And I agree. I think this is a bounce bag. New England is getting better and better every single week. I know that might be the fan of me talking, but keep in mind, this Texan team lost 40 to nothing to Buffalo. Okay. And I know the bills are a powerhouse, but 40 to nothing should just tell the story right then and there. I'm with you there. I'll take the Patriots and, this is actually, uh, we just got a really uh, developing news uh, for Chicago uh, when the Bears take on the Vegas. We now know that Justin Fields is not just going to be the starter this week. He's going to be the starter the week after that. And the week after that, the week after that, the week after that, Coach Matt Nagy has said Justin Fields will be QB number one the rest of the way. But we'll get to that in the future. In this game, when they take on the Raiders, Raiders no longer undefeated. They get beat by the Chargers on Monday Night Football. Do the Bears have new life now that Justin Fields will be their quarterback? Do the Bears have new life now that Justin Fields will be their quarterback? I think the Bears will have some life, but I think this Raiders team is really good. Like Derek Carr always and forever will be a question mark. He's better than Kirk Cousins, and I think that's about where it ends for me. I think Derek Carr can keep you in a game. I don't think Derek Carr can go out and win you a game. But I think that this Raiders team is really, really solid. The big question with the Raiders team last year, why they couldn't win games and why they couldn't end up, make, end up making it to the playoffs, is that defense was a big question mark. That's not the case this year. The Chargers put up 28 against them, but that is a really, really good Chargers team. I think their defense has been solid enough to keep them in games. I look at that Ravens game in particular where they just balled out and held Lamar Jackson to give their offense a chance to win. 
I don't think that they're a top 10 defense, but I think that they're a defense that is solid. And especially with a Chicago team that is now naming Justin Fields, their starter after how many weeks after how much preseason, I think it's going to be good for the bears, but I think the bears are going to need some time for Justin to get really accommodated to that starting role. But I think the Raiders are in a solid spot where they've been playing super duper. Well, I see the Raiders taking this one. It's kind of similar to Kansas city where you basically have to put up 30 points to at least get in the game, but you are right with uh, defensively. I fell in love with Max Crosby after that first game, as you said, in Baltimore in overtime, I think that defensive line is so much better. They added Casey Hayward in the off season. Uh, I like the Raiders to get in this one, but who knows? Maybe Chicago wanted Justin Fields all along. Maybe in the future weeks, they'll start rattling off some wins. But just for this week, because Matt Nagy said all three quarterbacks were an option, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Matt Nagy is probably on the hottest seat right now in the NFL in terms of losing his job. But for now, I'll agree with you and I'll take the Raiders. This next game is going to be really fun, I think. Cleveland at the Chargers, two three and one teams, both coming off. Big victories last week. Johnny, I'm someone who thinks the Browns can win their own division. And I was someone who think the Chargers aren't going to be as good as they are. But here they are. They're both three and one. I think this is going to be a close game. What do you think about this one? I think the Bills and Chiefs are going to be the game to watch this week. I think this is going to be the most fun game to watch. Like maybe not competitive wise, but I think scoring wise, attack wise, playmaking wise. I think this game is going to be an absolute blast. I have the Chargers. I know I've been kind of picking every single home team, but this is my reasoning behind it. I think the Chargers this year are finally starting to figure it out, and they finally have a head coach that is competent now that Anthony Lynn is not the head coach of this Chargers team. I Defensively, they've been playing really, really solid, and they're starting to find their footing. I think attack-wise, Justin Herbert has taken a leap in his year two, and considering he was – potentially like one of the best rookie quarterbacks and put up some of the best rookie quarterback numbers of all time. The fact that he is now improving and increasing on that and developing more rapport with those wideouts who have been solid forever. Austin Eckler is doing Austin Eckler things. And when I look at this Browns team, they aren't in terms of the attack and in terms of their wideout production, their wide receivers haven't really done much. Their run game has been really solid as it always will with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But Baker hasn't looked that solid to open the season, especially that game versus the Vikings. For some reason, that game is sticking out in my head. Like, he hasn't looked super impressive. He hasn't been able to get the wideouts involved. The run game has looked solid, but they've been missing that passing component. I think he could start to turn that around and develop that. But I think the Chargers defense is really solid. And if he's going to do that, I don't think it's this week. I think you also got to keep in mind that Odell Beckham Jr. is coming off an ACL tear. And this was an offense without Odell last year, got Mm -hmm. themselves into the playoffs. And I know they have a super strong running game, but they're still slowly trying to figure out a way to get Beckham into that offense and still make him sort of a factor. I'm going to disagree with you. And I think the Browns are going to take this one. I think in terms of the two defenses, I trust Cleveland a little bit more. I -hmm. think Miles Garrett is having a great year so far. And, you know, I like the Chargers. It's a good little story, but I'm just not – fully sold on them yet I think you know you can't make conclusions about a ton of teams just yet you could do it with like maybe three or four but I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm ready for the Chargers just yet not not I'm not ready to declare them as super high profile teams I like Herbert I think he's going to be a great quarterback for years to come I think he's the future for that Chargers team but just right now I'm not fully sold on the Chargers so I will take the Browns on the road 
Now we go to an NFC East matchup, Giants at Cowboys. And you touched on, on the Cowboys really quickly in that game last week against the Panthers. You said that offense looks great. Do they continue that offensive power at home in Arlington against the Giants? Or do the Giants sustain the success of their overtime win against the Saints last week? I think the Cowboys are going to win this game pretty handily. Um, I We know offensively the Cowboys can put up numbers. But that offense hums. They have a solid offensive line. Dak looks really good. That running back tandem of Zeke and Pollard has been exceptional to start the season. Wide receiver-wise, they are spoiled for choice. It was always defensively that they've had big questions at. And I think this year, I mean, Diggs is leading the NFL in interceptions. And Daniel Jones is known for throwing interceptions and giving the ball away. I think this year, the Cowboys defense, while once again, it's not top tier, it is solid. And they have pieces in that defense that can make plays for them. And that's all they need. If they can get a couple turnovers in this game, I think the Cowboys can put this game to bed pretty, pretty quickly. Um, my heart's with, with the Cowboys in this. I, listen, the Giants are a solid team. I think that they're better than what their record says. But I don't think that Daniel Jones is a good quarterback. And I think that Joe Judge is trying to press and make him and, and show the world that he's a good quarterback. But I think we have enough evidence. I, I never like to call, like to jump the gun. And sometimes I'll jump the gun a little bit. But I think there's enough evidence to say that Daniel Jones just isn't a good quarterback. But that's, I, I think the Cowboys are going to win this one. Well, you do got to remember that just last night, the Cowboys released Jalen Smith. That mm -hmm. they cut him. So that's like, I mean, that's one of your better defensive players. And all of a sudden you're just going to let him go. You yeah. think Micah Parsons is going to be stepping in that? I do agree with you that I think the Cowboys are going to win this one at home, but man, that that's a head scratcher right there for Jalen Smith. I, yeah. I was, I was assuming he was going to be sort of that like defensive anchor for years to come. And now here he is now in the free agency market. And you got to think there's some team who thinks they have postseason aspirations and they're going to want to pick him up. Yes. But I think just for this week, I agree with you, Cowboys over the Giants right now. Mm -hmm. And then the last game during that day, or at least during the daytime, are the Niners at the Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals, I think, are the most questionable 4-0 team in terms of you don't know if they're going to sustain that sort of undefeated top of the NFC sort of success. Because keep in mind, they're the only team who's undefeated in the NFL. Mm -hmm. They're the only 4-0 team. Do they continue to be undefeated or do the Niners get them? I think they're going to be the most questionable 5-0 team in the NFL. I think, especially at quarterback, this 49ers team is still too much of a question mark. If Jimmy Garoppolo is good to go, is Jimmy Garoppolo even the answer? I think Trey Lance was selected with that third-round pick with the intention that Jimmy Garoppolo is not the future of this franchise. And when you do that and you keep the quarterback on the roster, I think that psychologically messes with him. This 49ers team is really, really good. And I think that they should be shooting for playoff aspirations every year with the talent that they have around from the wide receiver core, especially that defense. That defense is rock solid. But I look at this Cardinals team, as I did last year, they are going to be really frisky to start with. They're good to go out of the gate. They're going to surprise a lot of people. They're going to win a lot of games. I can see the Cardinals team tapering off at the end of the season and, and kind of capitulating because I still don't think Cliff Kingsbury is a solid coach. I think he makes a lot of questionable game decisions. His clock management is super suspect. But I think that there's – when it comes to early in the season, wins come from teams that are more organized and teams that are healthy. And I think right now the Cardinals are a little bit more organized. They're a little bit healthier. They have a more solid game plan. 
and they have their kinks ironed out a little bit more than the 49ers. So I think the Cardinals are going to take this one. Albeit this will be a close game. This is a team in the preseason that I thought could really make some noise out there, at least contend for the wild card. Because remember, they had a great start and then they faltered in the end, didn't even make the playoffs. I think this Cardinals team does get a ton of confidence after that Rams win in LA. You got to remember it was in LA that they pulled out. And not only that, but they wiped the floor with the Rams. I mean, they only allowed 20 points. The defense looks great with the additions of JJ Watt. And how about AJ green with a career revitalize in Arizona? I think him balancing out with Deandre Hopkins. I know they got a great rookie as well. And don't forget the running back combination for the Cardinals. Uh, Chase Edmonds and James Conner has been great for Arizona. James Conner so looks fantastic, by the way. Yeah, as the goal, as that goal line back, he's basically exceeding everyone's expectations for what he was going to be in Pittsburgh. But that's going to be a game I think the Cardinals should take. They mm-hmm. should win it easily. But then that's the predecessor for the Sunday night game, Buffalo and Kansas City that you just mentioned. I think this might be the most competitive game and that it comes down to the end. Kansas City has looked kind of suspect. They're not, you know, that dominant team that we've seen in the past. Do they right the ship? Do they knock off the Bills at home? I've gone with home teams all episode. I'm picking the road team on this one. And this this is what I'm seeing. The Buffalo Bills had a tough week one loss to the Steelers. And ever since then, they've done nothing but put up points on a team. If there is one thing the Kansas City Chiefs are very suspect for and have not done a good job of this year is they have allowed a ton of points. I look at that Eagles game, an Eagles team that was reeling and wasn't looking really good, and for them to put up 30 at the Chiefs is something that I, I, just, I just can't get over. I think that this Buffalo team is really, really solid. Josh Allen is finding his footing again. I think with the additions that they've made this year with Emmanuel Sanders at wide receiver, that gives them not only now, if you take away digs, you have another solid receiver to go to. Knox looks really quality on the tight end and is making good leaps this year as well. I think running back wise, they're still kind of suspect, but I don't think necessarily you need a strong running attack to beat this chiefs defense. And I think the defense of the Buffalo bills is solid enough to keep them in the game. All you have to do is keep the game close versus Patrick Mahomes and give your offense a chance to win. And if there is one quarterback that I'm going to put my money on to give me a chance to win right now, I think it's Josh Allen. I think he's too dynamic. I think his arm strength is too strong. I think the jumps that he's made in terms of his awareness of the game has been really impressive this year. And I think especially after coming off that 40 to nothing win, some people might think that they're going to be a little bit more relaxed. I think that they, that was their tune-up game to get ready for this Chiefs game. I think Buffalo is going to be roaring and ready to go. I thought I was going to be on an island. I thought I was going to pick the Bills, but I am right there with you. I picked Buffalo I, for years now. It's basically been, if you can hang with the Chiefs, you can beat the Chiefs. And, you know, I think that Super Bowl against Tampa really just showed some of the flaws. I know they had offensive line problems, and they corrected that with the Joe Tooney signing. But as you said, defensively, Kansas City just isn't there. They're not at that top tier. They're not a shut them down team like we've seen with the Rams or the Ravens, Steelers of the past. I think this is our Chiefs team that relied too heavily on Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, basically they had to put up like 30, 40 points every single week to keep him in this game. You know, you look at the game against the Ravens, look at the game last week against the Eagles, as you mentioned. Now you've got a Buffalo team coming off a three-game winning streak. Two of those games 
keep in mind, were shutouts, including mm. last week's quarter to nothing against the Texans. I think this is prime position for Buffalo to overtake the Chiefs as the top team in the AFC. Now, the Chiefs were my Super Bowl pick, but this was before I thought they were going to fall off a cliff, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's why I think the Bills are going to take this one. I'm right there with you. And I think the Chiefs are in a ton of trouble. I'll ask you this. If the Chiefs lose that game, would there be some panic in that Chiefs locker room? I don't think so yet. I think with the Chiefs, they're not going to feel any pressure until very, very later in the season. That Chiefs team is really good, and they have won a ridiculous amount of games in ridiculous fashions for the past two years. You can only do that for so long. Teams are going to figure you out. They're going to scheme properly for you. I mean, I think the first and second season everyone was saying is, how do we figure out Mahomes? How do we figure out how to defend against them? They're starting to figure it out and coaches are not dumb enough where they're going to let the chiefs do what the chiefs do every single week for the rest of the time. They're going to change game plans and they're going to figure it out. I think Andy Reed, this is going to be a humongous year for him coaching wise, because he's going to need to make some adjustments. I think as good as that chiefs team is when it comes to throwing the ball, they can get any sort of yardage they want on any down throwing the ball. I don't trust their run attack. Clyde Edwards, Elair still doesn't really impress me. I think he's, good but I don't think he's great and I think this Chiefs team is really struggling in that department and when they become so one-dimensional defensive coordinators can scheme for it so I think if they lose this game I wouldn't hit the panic button yet ask me that question at week 10 what their record's looking like because the panic button might start to come out yeah keep in mind they also added Josh Gordon so we'll see how he fits into that offense and then the Monday night game to wrap it up is Colts at Ravens Indy finally getting a win last week After dropping three straight, Carson Wentz looked like Carson Wentz against Miami. But then here come the Ravens after that week one loss. They've won three straight and Lamar Jackson looking like Lamar Jackson. Do you think the Ravens keep up this stride? I sure do. And I think Lamar Jackson looked like Lamar Jackson in that loss that they had versus the Raiders as well. That game that he played was the only loss they had this season. And he still balled out and looked really good. He came into that game running an offense that had no running backs. They they trotted out Devonta Freed. They've been trotting out Devonta Friedman onto the field consistently, and they've still been managing to win games and, and rush the ball for over 100 yards a game. I think that in and of itself is really impressive. Look, this Colts defense is really good, anchored by Leonard Floyd. I think they're going to give that Ravens offense a run for their money, but I think the Ravens offense is really starting to click. I look at that long touchdown pass the other day to Hollywood Brown, And the fact that they can start to throw the ball effectively now makes them that much scarier of an offense. That's always been Lamar's criticism is can he throw the ball? Can he be a pocket passer? And I think he's starting to show that he can do that this year. I think, like I said, when it comes to these early week games, it's about who knows their identity the best and who's the most put together. I don't see that with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz can be really good some games. He looked pretty solid against Miami and then he can look absolutely atrocious the next week and I think this Ravens defense especially with the pressure they're going to put up front and that offensive line not having Quentin Nelson although they looked good last week it was versus a Miami defense which I think is just mediocre I think this Ravens defense is really good and I think this Ravens defense is going to put Carson Wentz under some pressure and when Carson Wentz is under pressure he capitulates so I think the Ravens are going to take this one yeah no doubt about it I think this Ravens team was just kind of looking for okay what are we doing with all these running back injuries, you know, they lose uh, Hill, they lose Edwards, they lose all these guys, and they're just trying to find the pieces that fit. 
I think mm-hmm. they got the pieces at the running back situation. I think defensively, they've kind of regained themselves back to where they were. And as you said, Lamar Jackson, you know, he's going to be sort of that inconsistent. You know, one week you're going to talk about, oh, he can throw the ball down the field. And the next week you're going to talk about, oh, he can't throw it down the field. So it's just going to be that kind of balance, that kind of career. But I do think that the Ravens take this game. So that's our slate of games. Mm-hmm. I will but, say all the four teams. On I the will road. say I'm even more confident in my Panthers pick now because we do have some breaking news coming across the screen. Or breaking um, news. According to Adam Schefter, I believe, uh, Patriots are trading Pro Bowl cornerback Stefan Gilmore to the Carolina Panthers. Ooh, that's like that is big. Sixth round pick. So yeah. I think a Panthers team that now has a defensive stalwart in it, I think even if he doesn't play this weekend, I still take the Panthers, but I think this makes the Panthers really, really interesting going forward. All right. Well, that that's going to be a question for our week five guests once they, once they come around. So there you go. Good breaking news on you. We'll, we'll save from Adam Schefter to Johnny Mansaridis, the second guy to break bad <laughs> news. So that's our slate of games for week four. Five road teams were selected by Johnny Man. We'll see how you do on Sunday. And before we let you go, the nondescript podcast, you took a little bit of a break, but now mm-hmm. you're back. For those who are listening, tell, tell them about the Nondescript podcast. What can people expect if they tune in? Yeah, absolutely. So it is a mental health podcast. We drop it weekly. We used to do three me and then one guest a month, but now we started to incorporate a lot more guests in. So I just had an author and mental health coach on. I'll be interviewing a couple of mental health experts. I like to have on anybody that is a mental health expert in their field to talk about ways that we can decompress, ways that we can identify our mental health, and ways just to live better and feel more comfortable about ourselves. Talking about mental health, especially when it comes to being a guy, isn't the easiest thing to do. So I try to normalize the conversation, give you ways to do better and feel better about yourself. Check it out. We drop it every week. We got an Instagram as well. Feel free to check me out. All right. Well, that is Johnny Mintz Reed. It's the nondescript podcast. You can get it anywhere you find your podcast. Johnny, thanks for joining the show and good luck with your week five picks. Joe, always a pleasure and good luck with your picks as well. We'll see who comes out on top. So the biggest story, obviously, in the entire world has been fighting off the coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're starting to see the vaccine really take shape, not just in the world, but in sports, too. We're seeing a lot of mandates in arenas and different uh, organizations. And obviously, the biggest story in the sports world when relating to the COVID-19 vaccine has been in the NBA, where in the state of New York, in the state of California, You have to have at least one shot to be able to practice in a gym, go to games, stuff like that. And the biggest athlete who is unvaccinated is Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving playing for the Brooklyn Nets. He, as of, from what we know, from what we know, he is unvaccinated. And that means with the season starting in less than two weeks, that means he's going to miss more than half of the games for the Brooklyn Nets season, which makes me wonder, Why is Kyrie Irving doing this? And I thought that question is a great subject for our weekly segment known as Hot Takes. Now, we just have to ignore the vaccine mandates. You know, that's a story for another time, whether the mandates are fair or not. 
if they're requiring them to get vaccine or not. We'll talk specifically about the here and now and what we know. What we know is that Kyrie Irving does not have the vaccine, which means because of protocols, he will not be able to practice with the Brooklyn Nets. He will not be able to play in the Barclays Center. He will not be able to play in Madison Square Garden. And from what we know, at least what I know, he will not be able to play in Golden State, a couple games in California. And from what we heard from the NBA PA is that players who have to miss games because of protocols like this will lose their game checks, okay? They will lose their game checks, which is kind of like a more incentive for players to go get the COVID-19 vaccine. I mean, we saw it with Andrew Wiggins. He was unvaccinated. Then all this stuff came out. He decided to get himself vaccinated, according to Steve Kerr. But let's just be honest. Kyrie Irving is a nightmare. The dude is a nightmare. Whether he has the vaccine or not, he's just a nightmare player. Really, for the past four or five years. I mean, he didn't want to play with LeBron James. Who doesn't want to do that? He wanted to be a leader, but he was a terrible leader in Boston. Last year, personal reason keeps him out of games for the Brooklyn Nets. Totally unannounced, he just walks away. Okay? This... Kyrie is not being a good teammate, okay? Let's just keep that in mind. He's not being a good teammate because he's putting himself first. He's putting himself first. And I know, again, the big debate about, you know, vaccine, misinformation, stuff like that. This dude is a walking nightmare. He brings a toxic culture wherever he goes. And I don't know if I would want that on my team, you know, If you hear a guy like LeBron James saying, yes, I got the vaccine, that might incentivize other people to go and get it. If we hear a guy like Kyrie Irving, you know, spreading all this, you know, whatever misinformation there might be, that hurts more than just the, it it hurts more than just the Nets. It hurts more than the NBA. It hurts the entire nation. If they're saying this big time basketball player isn't going to get a vaccine, but again, That's a story for another time. We're focusing on Kyrie Irving because this Nets team would be unstoppable if him, Kevin Durant, and James Harden were all on the floor, okay? And keep in mind what the Nets did in the offseason. Patty Mills is here. Paul Millsap is here. LaMarcus Aldridge is back. Blake Griffin re-signed, okay? This team is going all out. And if they had Kyrie Irving for a consistent number of games, they would be automatic title favorites in my eyes. But I mean, just looking at the postseason last year when Irving got hurt, and Kevin Durant was able to do it by himself. You know, he was half a foot away from sending the Nets to the conference finals. Half a foot. If he wore a size, like a size 13, I don't know what shoe size are. If he wore a size 13 instead of a size... 13 and a half, they'd be in the conference final. So honestly, Kyrie Irving, if he misses games, I bet you Kevin Durant is looking at that like, I don't need him. I got James Harden, okay? We know those two get along. We know that. We know that. I trust this Brooklyn team because Kevin Durant has shown he can play with or without Kyrie Irving, with or without James Harden. He's proven that. And if he gets himself another great season... He might be another MVP. He might get himself his second MVP. So honestly, Kyrie Irving is just kind of useless at this point. I wouldn't even want him on my roster, considering all the toxic culture and the mess that he brings wherever he goes. 
Kyrie Irving, regardless of vaccination status, is a nightmare in the locker room. He's probably a great guy to talk to, but the fact that he's kind of in these sort of selfish ways of, oh, the earth is flat, I'm not getting the vaccine. I honestly, if I was a general manager, if I was Steve Nash, or if I was anyone in that Nets organization, I would basically pull him into the office, and I would tell him, listen, you're not going to be on our team if you don't get vaccinated. Now, obviously, there's like a peer pressure kind of thing, so I'm not saying that the vaccine mandate is like fair or not. You know, I'm not saying anything like that. But just with the guidelines that they have, with the guidelines that's in place, the mandates in the state of New York, you know, you basically are abiding by that. And we've seen people all throughout the nation lose their jobs or not want to be at their jobs because they don't want to get the vaccine. So Kyrie Irving has to be included in this group. If he doesn't want to get the vaccine, then he can't have a job. Okay, maybe he can get a job in another state or with another team that doesn't have these kind of mandates or stuff like that. But the fact is he's playing with a team in a state that has these protocols and these mandates intact. And if he can't follow them, and if he's not going to be that valuable for this Nets team, then I say cut him loose. Cut the leash off. Let him go. Let him be free wherever he wants. Because there's no denying his talent. He can be a great talent for any team. Any team. But if you want a locker room guy or a someone to bring your organization together, this guy's not it. He's not it at all. But you know, the good thing is there's still, like I said, less than two weeks before the regular season gets underway. So a lot of things could change, whether it's Irving's vaccination status, whether it's these mandates, if any kind of COVID numbers go down, these mandates might not even be a thing. But all I know is it's an absolute mess what Kyrie Irving has brought on, not only to himself, but to the entire NBA. Next, it's time for another weekly segment known as our Let's Get Local, where we look at all our Boston teams. And of course, Boston has been making the headlines nationally for two specific reasons. Tom Brady's return and the Red Sox in the postseason. And we'll start with Tom Brady because, let's be honest, this is his last game in Gillette that he's going to play. Because if he stays with Tampa, I don't think he goes anywhere else. But if he stays in Tampa, it would be another eight years until he comes back to Gillette. And you know how old he would be then? 52. 52. I know he wants to play till he's 50, but he ain't going to go past 50. I'll tell you that right now. I don't even think he gets past 46. Okay? I think, if we're being totally honest, I think it's this year and another year, and I think that's it. But that's a story for another time. Let's talk about the game on the field, where the New England falls 1-3, 19-17 loss to the Tampa Bay Bucks. And honestly, this was just more about Tampa sort of struggling rather than New England keeping it close. I think just the Bucks were allowed New England to be close because, I mean, you got the the rainy conditions. It was windy. It was wet. You had the atmosphere and the emotion with Tom Brady being back in Gillette for the first time since he left. You know, it took Tom a while 
to get used to being the opponent because when you looked at all the the videos and the tributes and stuff like that it was great and the fans were cheering him but when the game started and he took that field he was public enemy number one and there is without a shadow of a doubt that every fan in Gillette maybe not every fan but most fans in Gillette would rather see a Patriots win than a Tom Brady win but to the New England side of the thing they had no run game and honestly, no one can have a run game against this Tampa team because they do that to everyone. The Buccaneers hold everyone in check with their run game. In the rush game, negative one rush yard. Negative one yard. I can't even remember the last time that happened to an NFL team. Not at all. But the plus side is that Mac Jones was holding his own with the GOATs, okay? He outperformed him, and I know part of that might be the conditions and stuff like that, but if you look in the stat sheet, Mac Jones was the better quarterback than Tom Brady. Brady was 22 of 43 for 269. Mac Jones was 31 of 40, 275, two touchdowns and a pick, okay? But overall, as this team, this team is not failing because of Mac Jones. I think he's been the perfect quarterback, and he's been able to do all he can with not only what the coaches have given him, but what he's been able to manage okay he's not the reason they have a poor offensive line this defense is struggling okay mac jones is not the reason they have too many penalties the coaching is not opening up the playbook enough and honestly you know maybe it'd be another story if nick folk made that field goal which by the way props to nick folk on a bad plant leg at 37 years old in the rain goes for a 56 yarder and it doinks it doinks off the goalpost, okay? If it was just a few more inches to the right, it would have bounced in, kind of similar to a Justin Tucker kind of thing. It would have bounced in, and it would have been an upset. So props to Nick Folk for even attempting that, for attempting that. But of course, everyone has to talk about the off-the-field scenes with Brady. I mean, when you look at the video after the game, he's basically giving some pretty long hugs to everyone except Bill Belichick. Keep that in mind. Like I said, I thought the scene was perfect by the fans to cheer him at the beginning and then treat him like the villain. And I think there's never going to be hatred by Brady for anyone in the New England organization. I mean, you saw it in the pregame with him hugging Robert Kraft. You saw him postgame with McCourty and Slater and all those other guys. And then the quick hug by Belichick, stuff like that. That would have been more shocking but the fact that there was a 20-minute conversation after the game and Belichick went into the Bucks locker room to have a conversation with that, you know, like I said last week, time and space heals all wounds, okay? There is still going to be love between the two. And at the end of the Patriots tenure, was it sour? Yes. But the fact is, those two guys won six Super Bowls with each other. With each other. So I don't think there's any reason to think that there's not love between those two, okay? And like I said last week, they've been together for 20 years. If you've known someone for over 20 years, there are going to be disagreements and fallouts, and you're going to need this space to just be with your own thoughts and not be with each other. So I totally thought it was just water under the bridge. You know, it might be another story when the book by Seth Wickersham actually comes out and we get to see the full slate of it instead of just little uh, little details right here and there. But I think it's totally fine between those two, okay? 
They had their truce, they made their peace, and now they can move on. With For Belichick is in Houston when they take on the Houston Texans. But there's now a developing story heading into that game. We now know that Stephon Gilmore is not going to suit up for the Pats because he has been traded to the Carolina Panthers for a sixth rounder. Now let's just keep this trade in mind. They were going to release him. They were going to release Gilmore. He wasn't going to play with the Pats. And they basically said, anybody want anything? So unless that 2023 six-round pick from Carolina turns out to be another Tom Brady, this was a useless trade, okay? Absolutely useless. And did I think Stephon Gilmore was going to return to the Pats? Absolutely. I thought there was some kind of agreement between those two. But again, 31-year-old corner coming off of quad surgery, Belichick just didn't want to take that chance and have that guy be your number one guy. You know, I'm just... Am I shocked? Yes, a little bit. I'm more I'm more shocked because I kind of gave it like a 60-40 chance that 60% he stays, 40% he goes. But the fact before he even came off the PUP, totally shocked. Unbelievably shocked. But for this upcoming game in Houston, they weren't going to have Gilmore regardless. But this is going to be a gut check game for New England to see if this team can really turn it around. Because let's face it, they're 1-3. And if they don't win this game, there's absolutely no chance, no chance that they right the ship and get themselves into at least wildcard contention. Because keep in mind with this Texans team, after their opening week one win against Jacksonville, they've been outscored 95 to 30 during their three game losing streak. Okay, 95 to 30. If you do not blow this team out then you don't even deserve to have a good year this year. I don't even think they belong at 500 the way that this game goes. This offense should be able to light up that Texans defense. This defense, okay, I think they struggle. Maybe they give up like 17 points, something like that. But if this offense does not perform well this season, you might as well flush it down the drain because it is a totally wasteless season if they lose to the Houston Texans, okay? It would have been a waste if they dropped to the Jets in Week 2. And luckily, they didn't. So hopefully, that same outcome can happen against the Houston Texans. Because the next week, they got the Cowboys. Okay? They're not going to win that game against the Cowboys. Let me just tell you that right now. But of course, that's a regular season matchup. We got to talk about the postseason what the Red Sox have done. You know, starting with the weekend, the fact that they were able to clinch home field. I mean, they sweep the Nationals. But the fact that they had to make a comeback on Sunday in D.C. didn't really give off much hope. I mean, the fact you needed a clutch home run by Verdugo, clutch home run by Devers, you can celebrate that. Yeah, great. But it just wasn't something where I was like, why did you even have to get that far? If you just took care of business in Baltimore and take at least two out of three, you wouldn't have to go this far. You wouldn't have to get it on the final day. You wouldn't have to go for it on the final day. But, I mean, Chris Sale, he wasn't the ace on Sunday. The offense was sputtering. They were down 5-1. Then the Nationals' bullpen blows it away, and the Red Sox were able to get to that wild card game. And luckily, you know, going back to Sale, it turned out all right because that wild card game had two big takeaways for me. The first one was Nathan Evaldi. 
The fact that he was able to shut down that Yankee lineup was incredible, okay? And I think if there's any kind of postseason clinching scenario that the Sox go through, if they go a long way, this guy should be at the top of the list. Nathan Evaldi should be that guy because he has had his best season of his career. And I include the 2018 postseason run when he came in during that 18-inning game against the Dodgers, okay? I include that. Because Evaldi shut this team down. Absolutely shut him down. Shut down the Yankee lineup. That's the first thing. The second thing I saw out of this game was getting after Garrett Cole. I think that was a tremendous strategy. I don't know if Alex Cora said that exactly. But getting after him early and getting him out of the game after six outs to go to a Yankee bullpen that has been the most inconsistent, maybe even more inconsistent than your own bullpen, was absolutely huge for the Sox team. Bogart's getting the two-run homer in the first. Kyle Schwarber getting his solo shot. I think that was so important. So important for the Sox team. If they don't get after Garrett Cole, if they let him, if they let him go five or eight, five innings or six innings and this offense is still in check, then you're probably done. You don't win that game. But the fact that they got the runs early in those first two innings, monumental. Monumental, and I think having that game at Fenway was super important as well. I mean, let's talk about that play in the sixth where Stanton hit that ball and Phil Nevin decides to send Aaron Judge. I didn't like the send at all. I shockingly agreed with Alex Rodriguez. I would not have sent Aaron Judge, even though Joey Gallo is basically a strikeout guy. I would not have sent Judge. I would have kept him at third base. But the fact that Hernandez played that ball perfectly, Bogarts gathers, throws it, one hop, Ploiecki, the tag, unbelievable. It was an unbelievable play. You know, I include that with the mistake. I'm not going to put it totally on the Yankees, but it took a tremendous relay to get Judge out. And I thought the Red Sox probably was the game of the year. It was the game of the year, the performance of the year in that wild card game at Fenway eliminating your rivals, and now you get to go to Tampa where I think you can at least get this to four games, at least make it competitive. Do I still have confidence? No. But J.D. Martinez is back. They did leave Matt Barnes off the roster. So I'll be very curious to see how this series plays out for this Red Sox team, how they work with the bullpen. Is Garrett Whitlock going to be that ninth inning guy like we saw in the wild card game? Are you going to let your starters go a long way? We'll have to see. But all I know is once it comes down to the postseason, it's the most exciting time of the year if you're in the city of Boston. Now, finally, to wrap up our show, as we always do, we look at our LOL moment of the week. And first, I got to give a shout out to the Detroit Lions. That play they had where it was snapped to Goff, it went right off to him and into the hands of Chicago for that fumble. That was going to be my moment until the AL wildcard game happened. And this video went viral. And I'll explain it after I make the announcement. So this week's LOL moment of the week goes to... John Sterling, the New York Yankees radio announcer, 
So let's just set the stage. It's the first inning of the AL wildcard game. Nathan Evaldi's on the mound. Giancarlo Stanton up to bat. And this is the call. The pitch to Stanton. Drew, there it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Out of the ballpark. A Stantonian home run. Now, what did, what did I do wrong? What did I see wrong? He's at first base. Now, I don't know if you saw that replay, but that ball hit the monster. And Giancarlo Stanton was held to a single. Okay? John Sterling, you got to get your eyes checked. Okay? I don't know if you're broadcasting that game in New York or not if you're at Fenway. But you got to get your eyes checked. That was not a home run. It did not leave the ballpark at all. Even if it did be a home run, that was not going to clear the ballpark like he did. I mean, let's face it. That's as Homer as Homer gets. The fact that he thought Giancarlo Stanton was again going to hit another home run. Now, granted, Stanton did hit a home run. It was in the ninth, but it wrapped around the pesky pole in right field. So he did hit a home run. But he went absolutely nuts, as he always does, which is why no one likes the Yankees. The fact that he says, a Stantonian blast. Like, no one says that, okay? That's not even in the dictionary, okay? John Sterling is as Yankee as Yankee gets, okay? Just saying stuff about, like, fans and all that. You know, the the clip basically just explains it right then and there. The fact that Sterling thought it was a home run when it clearly, on the TV, hit the top of the green monster and bounced out. And what was more funny was the fact that he just kept going. He kept going with it, saying, like, a Stantonian blast. He didn't even bother to look. He probably had, like, a page of notes saying like oh this is what i'm gonna say when stan hits a home run this is what i'm gonna say when judge hits a home run he probably has those phrases you know written down or something like that so he was probably like looking at that piece of paper or something like that maybe looking at the stat sheet or something like that but just watch the screen before you make that kind of call i mean that's that's his go-to phrase it is high it is far it is gone okay well this one was high it was far but it was not gone okay Only a handful of ballparks take that home run away, and Fenway is one of them. That's the effect of the green monster right there. But John Sterling, you clearly need to be in the game a little longer because the fact you think that Stan can just hit a home run like that over the green monster every single time, not going to be the case. And it's because of that ambiguous radio call where you thought Stan hit a home run on a single lands you into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you follow our other pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.